0: Good morning, WCF. It's great to see all you guys here today. So I invite you to stand and let's start this song or start this worship service off with a fast, nice song. One, two, three, four. Greet somebody around you and tell them God
1: is good. I'm going to pray as the ushers come forward for this morning's offering, yeah, as we continue to worship. And let's just pause for a minute and reflect on why we're here, what we're doing, and what God wants to do in our heart. You we pause this day, this day. Lord's Day, this day that you've called us to set aside to be different than others. We ask first and foremost that, Holy Spirit, you would examine our heart and see if there's any wicked way in us, that we might confess it to you that there would be no limitations or hindrances in coming before the throne of grace, knowing that Jesus paid the price for our sin. But God, so many times we come distracted. There's a a hindrance because we're not focused. We are before the throne of grace even now. And God, you want to love on us. You want to encourage us. You want to teach us. Give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to this church. As we surrender our hearts to you. God, we offer up to you this, this offering. It is an act of obedience and worship. Giving back to you is, a, is, is, a, is an act that acknowledges, God, you are the provider of all things. And Lord, may you use this offering for your kingdom's glory. To meet the needs of the people that are here in our community and supporting our missionaries abroad. To finance the ministries and the outreaches. Lord, we want to be your hands and your feet. We surrender all to you. This morning we offer up these offerings. And we offer up an offering of praise. And where we're lacking in our our ability, Holy Spirit, bring forward that heart of worship. A heart of worship that is acceptable before a holy God. We thank you and we praise you, even now, in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: all the hallelujahs out there, God, and just, oh, just to hear everything, just fill this place and worship you. We are here to worship you, God, and we're also here to just listen and listen to what Pastor Kerry has for us today so that we can improve ourselves and, and just be here in you and so we can go out to the world and shine you through us. Thank you. Thank you for everything. We do have so much gratitude for you. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: You would find your seats and also find your way over to Second John. We've been working through this series of truth and, and truth that matters. Truth and love are the cornerstones to Christian living. Truth and love are are essential for us to be able to have a powerful life and also a a healthy life. When truth is removed, what you do is you create a a faulty foundation and love becomes powerless. It's impossible to love with truth when truth is removed, so love becomes fake. It, it, It... becomes very narcissistic within that. Satan's plan is to remove truth. And when we think about what happens when you remove truth, what 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 happens when you take truth out of, and we're talking about absolute truth, God's truth, when you take truth out and truth is lost, there is some surveys that were done, a survey of, of theological beliefs were done, and this third survey asked self-professing Christians to respond to a series of statements in, in, in classical theology, what they really believe within this. And in every matter related to the theological beliefs, for those between the ages of 18 to 34, they found consistently heretical views had been established. And you go, well, where does these heresies come from within these young people? Hmm, I wonder where. The school systems. The world system. Social media. Young people that identify themselves as Christians are are highly influenced by all of these things. And so, the, the truth is replaced with lies. And we look at how they live their lives, these young people, within this. And they live a less loving life. But it isn't just young people. In doing some research, I found a, a study that showed that 25% of college professors are professing atheists. Think about that. 25 college professors are professing atheists. That's 5 to 7% of the general population of the atheists and agnostics. These are the people that are running our colleges. Do we have a problem with higher education? Absolutely we do. Only 6% of college professors say that the Bible is actually the Word of God. 51% describe themselves, describe the Bible as an ancient book of fables and legends and history and, and precepts. 75% of these college professors believe religion does not belong in public schools at all. Hmm, do we wonder about that? I think the number is probably higher if we were really to, to get people to honestly answer. And in today's culture... 63% of teenagers that are Christians, mind you, 63% teenagers that are Christians, self-professing uh, Christians, do not believe that Jesus is the Son of God. 63% of self-claiming, I'm a Christian, do not believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Only 51% do not believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And 68% don't believe that the Holy Spirit is real, a real entity. And 33% of the church youth have said that church church will play a part in their lives after they leave home. So we're only seeing a 33% return of raising our kids in, in the church. And we see that today within our culture. It is a sad day when we're taking a look at the next generation. What's happening? Truth is being removed. And it's essential that that we teach our kids the truth. It's essential that our kids and the next generation is attending Bible studies, attending church, attending Christian schools. We're blessed to have a Christian school on campus that is teaching the word of God, but we need more. We need more teachers. We need more influence. We need more, more adults that are going to pour their lives into these kids. Why? Because they're the next generation. There is a war on truth today, is there not? And this war on truth is, is attacking the basic tenets of, of our Christian faith. Why? Because if I remove truth out of a person's life, I remove the way that they love. Remember, truth and love are the cornerstone. To our, to our Christian belief. John, as he writes this, this letter, what we call a postcard letter in Second John, which is going to be our text for this morning, is writing to the church who is being challenged by false teachers. And he's trying to get them back to the foundation of faith, the same faith which was instilled in them, and the foundation of truth and love. And as I said earlier, if you remove truth, you also remove the, cap- the capability of being able to truly love. Because that love is distorted by the world. John writes what we would call a horatory discourse. In other words, it's a, it's a discourse. Second John is a postcard discourse that says, I'm writing to you this letter, this postcard, because I want you to change. I want you to think about what you're doing and adjust your life. And as a command, he's warning against the deceivers that were coming around and they were bringing these lies into the church. It's a general letter and he's sending it around to everybody. And one of the things that the teachers were doing is they were trying to say that Jesus didn't come in the flesh, that he's not the Son of God. Question. What happens if you remove the the truth that Jesus is the Son of God who came in the flesh, died on the cross for our sins, and rose again three days later. What happens if you remove that truth? You have no hope. There is absolutely no hope. You're dead in your sins. And you have no example of how to love. Because there's no greater love than this, than a man who lays down his life for his friend, the Scripture tells us. You have no foundation for love in society. When when you remove the love of God through Jesus Christ, you remove that truth of love demonstrated, love incarnate. If you remove that, there is no foundation for true love in marriages, relationships, families, or community within this. So John writes to his beloved children in the faith. And in this little postcard, we see four different things: a call to walk in the truth, a call to obey the commands a call to love one another, and a call to guard the truth that you received so that you will not be deceived. I'm going to ask that you stand as we read through this passage. I forgot to give Rachel the note to to put it on the screen. So if it's not on the screen behind me, read your Bible that's in front of you. The letter of 2 John. The elder to the chosen lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth. For the sake of the truth, which abides in us and will be with us forever, grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of God of the Father, and the truth in love. I was very glad to find some of your children walking in truth, just as we have received commandments to do so from the Father. Now I ask you, lady. Not as though I were writing to you a new commandment, but the one which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to the commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning that you should walk in. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves, that you do not lose what we have accomplished, but that you may receive a full reward. Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teachings of Christ does not have God. The one who abides in the teaching, he has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house and do not give him a greeting. For the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds. And though I have many things to write to you, I do not want to do so with paper and ink, but I hope to come to you and speak face to face so that your joy may be made full. The children of your chosen sister greet you. May God bless the reading of this word. You can be seated. So as John opens this little postcard, he opens this postcard with a, a, a greeting. It's very typical of, of these letters to have a greeting. And he says, greetings from the elder. Now, it's interesting because he doesn't name himself within this, but he is known as, identifies as the elder. And we know through the, the external evidence that it is John the apostle who is the elder that is writing this general letter. The word elder there is presbyteros and we use the term elder for our elders of our church, this would be an older spiritual leader that is highly respected. And so as John's writing this letter, he's writing this letter as that that respected leader within the church, and he's writing to the chosen lady and to her children. Now, a lot of commentators will get into this and they'll say, well, it was a specific woman that was part of the, this church or it was these other people. And while that may be true, it, it isn't totally consistent. Verse 13, he ends it in the letter. He says, the children of your chosen sister. Well, who's the chosen? The chosen are those that are, that are called by the Holy Spirit to be Christ followers within this. And so John is really writing this letter to us, to all believers. So we can't say, well, this letter is just for those people at that time. It's for us. And so there's a huge lesson that is to be learned as if John was writing this letter to you. Personalize it. Understand that he gives to us this, this truth. To the chosen lady and her children, whom I've loved, how? In truth. We see truth and love as the cornerstone. And he says, I love you in truth. In this, in this aspect of truth. in it's an expression of the heart. It's the ability to... To understand it's the truth of Christ. True love, true love is only found in Christ. The capacity to truly love is only found in God. The world loves in a very self-centered way. But within this, we see two words that are used. One word is agape. Have you heard of it before? Agape or agape, wherever you put the, the emphasis on the right syllable. It's the highest form of love that you can have. It's the love by which God loves us. It is a self-sacrificing kind of love. The word truth, aletheia, is also the highest form of truth. So, what we combine is this highest form of love based on the highest form of truth. Have you ever wondered how it is that Christ's followers can love at a different level than the world? It's because we have the love of Christ within us. We've experienced that love. And we have the truth of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Truth within us, dwelling within us. The ones that really can high, that love at the highest capacity, love on the basis of truth. It's the ability to be able to love beyond yourself based on the work and word of God that works within your life, within this. And so we see these two words, the, the that form this highest Form for the believers and it balances Christian life. In fact, every manner that, that true love comes forth is a love that is based on truth and it teaches us how we live. In Ephesians 4:15, Paul would write to the church, he says, "But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects unto him who is the head even Christ. Now, sometimes when you have to speak truth, it's going to hurt somebody's feelings. And sometimes the truth hurts. But if you're speaking it in love, you're always speaking it in a manner that is going to lift the person up. Not tear the person down. Truth and love always seeks the, the better for the other person. Not, not for yourself within them. It's a truth that binds us together. It's truth and love is these cornerstones of the Christian faith that take some some people that are just polar opposites and allows them to have fellowship together because it allows us to connect. The highest form of, of, of truth and love really is modeled in a godly marriage where the husband loves the wife and the wife loves the husband. How? Because they're loving in the same manner of truth that God has afforded to them. The standard by which they are given to be able to be in that place, to be connected. Jesus says in John fourteen six, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Truth and love puts us on the same path together. The world doesn't understand the truth of God, does it? Why doesn't the world understand the truth of God? Because they haven't experienced the love of God. And as we studied last week, they don't have the spirit of truth within them. The ability to love the unlovable by the world standard, but to love the unlovable by God's standard, there is no one that's unlovable. You can look at somebody and you can say, man, God loves you. And, and, And the world will go, well, how do they love them? Because God loves us with this unconditional love. Do you know that God loved you before the foundations of the world? That while you were yet a sinner, Jesus died for you. When you were unlovable by the world's standards, God says, I love you, and I want to give my son to you. God sees you and loves you and provides the way of truth, which is Jesus. We think about Paul's statement to Timothy in 1 Timothy 2, 3-6. He says this, This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who who desires all men to be saved. And to come to the knowledge of truth. For there is one God, one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all the the testimony given in proper time. God's not willing that any should perish. God's desire is for all men to be saved. One of the difficulties is to love somebody that has hurt you. Isn't it? How do you love somebody that has hurt you? How do you love somebody that has treated you poorly? Well, you don't love based on the human standard, but you love based on the truth. And what is the truth? God loves them. Jesus died for them. God desired for them to be saved. And you learn to love within that capacity and and the unifying truth that Jesus came to die for the least and, and, and the lost and the marginalized. That Jesus is our Savior and our Lord. If you remove the truth about Jesus, if you remove the capacity to love that is demonstrated through Jesus, and who He is, you're going to be lost. And the world's lost within that. The unifying factor for all of us is that the Spirit of Truth lives within us. And we studied that last week. With the Holy Spirit. As Paul would write, Christ in you is the hope of glory. The ability to be able to share that truth. It's the Holy Spirit that binds us together. John would write in his first letter, in 1 John 2.20. And he speaks of the indwelling of the Spirit. He says, but you have an anointing from the Holy One that's within you. It's this truth that dwells within you. Have you ever been to a, 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 a situation or a place where you look at somebody and you go, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to navigate this relationship. In your mind, you want to go one way. But then the Holy Spirit talks and says, I want you to go this way. And you're conflicted. In your mind and in your emotions, you say, I want to run from you, I want to hurt you, I want to be away from you, or whatever the case is. But the Spirit of God is speaking to your heart saying, you need to forgive them, you need to love them, you need to reach out to them. The truth is, in the same way that Jesus loved you, we're to love one another. You want to do a really cool study? Go through your Bible, especially in the New Testament, and look at all the one another statements. It's an amazing study to be able to see that. We see the unifying truth of the spirit of truth that is in us, that indwells within us, which tells us that the presence of Christ is in us, the spirit of truth. And to walk into that truth and to love in that truth. And... and not And never to abandon that. And so as John is writing, he says, I love you in truth. That's the highest form of love you could ever have. Because what he's saying is, I love you in Christ. That's the highest form of love and that you could ever have for another person. I love you in Christ. I may not like what you're doing right now, but I love you in Christ. I love you in truth. As John goes on and, and gives us this, this hope, this indwelling presence, he says in John fourteen eighteen to 20 he says this, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you, and after a little while the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live, you will live also. And in that day you will know that I am the Father, and in you, and you in me, and I in you. Why is that important? The difficulty is the world's going to come in and tell you that Jesus really isn't the Son of God, that Jesus really didn't die on the cross for your sins, that Jesus really doesn't love you. The world is going to tell you that God doesn't love you. Now, if you believe that lie, where does that leave you as an individual? Lost. If you believe the lie that God does not care for you, does that leave you hopeless, and helpless. And isn't that what's going on in the world today? We need to be able to love in truth. We need to be able to bring Christ in us to the world around us. I love the fact that we have an evangelism training that's going on at, you know here in a couple of weeks. What are, what's the goal? Is it not just on your Bible? No. It's bringing the knowledge of truth and love to a world that is lost and feeling helpless and hopeless and and, and needing to understand that they belong and they belong to God who loves them. And so you become the conduit of love to that world. You bring Jesus to them. The danger of rejecting Jesus is rejecting truth. The danger of of rejecting the truth is rejecting the ability to know Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit. That's why Satan wants to come in and and tell lies about who Jesus is. To tell these lies that that Jesus is not the Son of God. John, in his introduction, in verse 3, he does something really cool. He gives this trilogy. Of blessings. He says to be able to love in truth. And he says grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from whom? From God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Son of God in truth and love. I have talked with people in counseling throughout the years and even most recently. Where they enter into a state of anxiety, depression, frustration. Suicide rates are off the chart right now. People are in this place where they don't feel loved, they don't feel accepted, and they don't feel like they belong to anybody. Why? Because they're believing the lie that God doesn't love them. And God says, no, I do love you, and I want to deliver grace, mercy, and peace. Grace is God's unmerited favor. Mercy, kindness of God giving us what we, or not giving us what we do deserve, and peace is the harmony that we have. Church, you have a treasure. You have a treasure that, that is more valuable than anything. Anything in the universe. You contain within you the Spirit of God that has the capacity to share the love of God to people that are shriveling up in this world dying to be loved. And we need to bring that love out and bring it forward. And not allow the enemy... To wipe us out. So how do we do that? Verses 4 through 6. You live in the truth and you live in the love. Notice how he says. He says, I was very glad to find some of your children walking in the truth. So he's talking about the church and the, and the generations from the church that are walking in the truth. And he says, walking in the truth just as we have received commandments to do so from the Father. In other words, it is the practical life. How is the world going to see that they are loved by God. How in the world are they going to see Jesus? Through you. The church. John is writing to these guys and he says, I was glad to hear that you're walking in truth and you're walking in love. You're conducting your life. It's interesting that word walking there literally is a, its the idea of conducting yourselves within a manner of lifestyle within this. And... Mind you, truth is not what you know. Truth is how you live what you know. There's a lot of people that have a lot of head knowledge about the Bible. But does it do you any good if it's up in your head and not out on your life? No. You've got to live what you know. It's interesting. If I was to take a look at your life, I can tell you what you really believe. You know How? By your actions. By how you live. How you live reveals what you really believe. Take a look at your life. Do you really believe that Jesus is Lord? Do you really believe that He has saved you? Do you really believe that He's called you to love one another unconditionally? Do you really believe that He's forgiven you in the same way He's forgiven you? You should forgive others. Do you really believe that? If you do then that's what that's how you're going to reflect Jesus to the world around you. Truth is not some intellectual activity. Truth is a practical lifestyle within this. If you really believe if you really believe that God is going to judge the wicked. If you really believe that and you really believe that you're commanded to love one another, what should you be doing? You should be loving one another and giving the gospel so that they're not judged in their sin within this. His practical living is obedient living to the commands. In first John three twenty three says this This is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ and love one another just as he's commanded. To love one another. And it's in our life, it's our lifestyle. Question. How did John know that the children were walking in love and in truth? How did he know? He wasn't there. How did he know? We're not told specifically. But what's implied is the testimony of the church had spread all throughout and come back to him. The ability to, to do that. I love the ministry that we have with the funeral ministry. Because it's a, it's a ministry of love and evangelism. And it's evangelism through love. How do I know that? What's interesting is I got a phone call not too long ago about doing a funeral. I said, I heard that you guys do funerals for people in the community. Oh, okay. And, and would you be able to do that for our family? Sure. So let's meet. Well, after we met and after we talked, this is a family that is, that is in the community but ends up being connected to our church through friends and family to be able to be in that place. They, didn't, they just didn't know it. And, and in our little community, we have the ability to be able to show love through ministry. Marilyn and the funeral team and all you guys, they do a fantastic job. To be able to share love and to minister to people. It's love through action to have that reputation that we are we are loving not just in word but in deed. People are blown away. You do funerals? Yeah. Well, how much do they cost? Nothing. What do you mean nothing? Everything costs. Not these. You provide food? Yeah. And all the different all the different things. And they're blown away. We did one yesterday. It was amazing. I got to witness to people that would never set foot into a church. And they got to hear the gospel. And we got to love on them. And I can tell you from, from our experience yesterday, the demeanor that they came in with into, into the building was very dark and very depressed. I mean, it was bad and sad. But that's not the way they left. They were laughing. They were they were together, and they heard the word. It's the lifestyle we need to, as verse five, to be able to walk in love towards one another, and having loved one another, the same commandment that we had from the beginning. God has given this commandment to love one another. In John thirteen thirty four thirty five, Jesus said. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Note, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And by this, all men will know that you are my disciples. How? How? If you have love for one another. It's a conditional clause. In other words, how you love becomes a testimony of your faith. And how you love one another within that. To be able to walk in the truth and walk in the love. They go hand in hand together. In Romans 13.8, Paul would write, Owing nothing to anyone except love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. What do we owe people? Love. Why? Because God loved you. And the same way that God has loved you, love one another. And love them in truth. The truth is, for the unbeliever, I love you and I want to love you into the kingdom because if, if you don't change, you're going to be judged. And you're going to spend eternity away from God. And I love you enough to tell you that you are in sin. That's loving and truth. Loving someone enough to be able to tell them the truth about their life. And God's commands within this. The world has a distorted view of love, doesn't it? I mean, isn't the world kind of messed up? Maybe a little. Why does the world have a distorted view of love? Because they have a distorted view of truth. You ever think about that? The world's view of love is distorted because they have a distorted view of what is true. And loving one another does not mean that you love somebody to manipulate them. Loving one another does not mean that you love them so that you can abuse them. I was at a meeting with somebody this week. Yeah, and they were struggling in their marriage. And the abusive spouse was was saying, well, you owe me respect and all of these other things. No, that's not true love. It's a distorted view based on what the world says. So what is truth and love? Well, let me give it to you simple. True love will never be in conflict with God's word. True love will never be in conflict with God's word. So if you want to know what true love is, and, and somebody is saying, well, if you love me, you're going to do this. If you love me, you're going to do that. If you love me, you're going, to, you're going to do this. And you go, well, wait a minute, what you're asking me to do is in conflict with God's word. But if you love me, you're going to do it. No, that's not true love. That's manipulation. True love doesn't manipulate. It doesn't bring someone to sin. True love delights in obeying the will of God. Verse 6, this is love, that we walk according to His commands. And a commandment just as you heard from the beginning, that you should walk it. So, true love really delights in, in doing what God says. John fifteen ten. if you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and abide in His love. So, how we conduct our lives really is in that place, that place of love. Within this. So, what should we do? Well, first and foremost, when you start and you understand the love of God and God loves you and you're loving one another, you've got to protect that standard. You've got to guard it. Why? Because the world wants you to stop being so loving. The world wants you to stop loving in truth. Verses 7 through 11 tells us that we need to protect that truth and love. Why? Because there's deceivers that have gone out into the world who don't acknowledge Jesus. There's deceivers. What do we got to do? We got to watch out for Satan's missionaries. You know, the church has missionaries, right? We go out and we share the gospel. Why? So that people will know the truth and love. But Satan has missionaries too, does he not? And his missionaries have one message. Don't believe the word of God. Don't believe God's truth. He wants to take out the, the truth of God's word. And John is writing because there was some heresy that was going on amongst the church of that time within the faith community, causing many to abandon their faith, to question their faith. These deceivers, they were not acknowledging that Jesus had come into the, in the flesh within this. And they weren't confessing the same thing. He says, look at this. The deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ is coming into the flesh. He's the deceiver, or the antichrist. That word acknowledge means to say, say the same thing. They were, they were saying, well, Jesus didn't come in the flesh. Can you think about what this was going on? Well, one of the problems was the Gnostics at this time. The Gnostics had developed this idea that anything that was in flesh was sinful because all flesh is sinful. Therefore, God cannot come in the flesh, otherwise he would be sinful. So Jesus was just spirit. Jesus was just spirit, and he didn't rise in the flesh. What happens if you take away the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ? What happens to us? There is no physical resurrection for the believer. And so they were trying to spiritualize her. they were trying to reject this, this hope. He says there were some that were there and they went out from us. These are those that, that leave the faith community. They were, they were unregenerate. In 1 John 2:19, he says those went out from us, but they were never really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out so that it would be shown that they're not of us. There's a lot of people that started in church. But don't stay. Why? Because you're just not, you're just not saved. And they start following stuff. And and so if people leave because they follow false teaching, what should we do? Love them in truth, speak the truth in love, work on bringing the truth to their life so that they would know there are those that are very religious but they don't have the spirit of God. First John, four one says this: Beloved, do not believe every spirit. But test the Spirit to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. You want a simple test? Simple test. Here's what you do. Someone comes to you and, 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 you know, they're, they're, they're spouting something, some kind of theology. They're from the, you know, the church of what's happening now or, you know, knocking on your door, riding up on a bike or I don't know. Ask them a question. One simple question. Who do you believe Jesus to be? Who do you believe Jesus to be? Don't get all wrapped around the axle in all of these other things about special books that they have or all of the other stuff that they've got. One question. Who do you believe Jesus to be? And make sure they answer correctly. But to answer correctly, you've got to know the answer. That he's the son of God. There there are a lot of people that are religious, but they're not saved. A third category are these demonically motivated deceivers. In 1 John 2.26, These things I have written to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. Are demons trying to deceive you? Absolutely they are. Absolutely they are. And so we have to guard the truth. We have to guard the truth and push back and push away all of these things. So how do I know a deceiver? Again, it's the Christological answer. Who is Jesus? Who is Christ? The Christological confession. We talked about the creeds. It's interesting, and, and not talking with Mark and Jessica as they were selecting songs, the opening song was a creed. It's a creed that tells what you believe about the Trinity and the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Know your Bible. Know your creed within this and your confession of faith. Matthew sixteen fifteen to 16 says this. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Is that the right answer? Absolutely. That's the right answer. What you believe about Jesus is the most important thing about your spiritual life. It is the truth. And it's what empowers you to love. The problem is the Antichrist, these deceivers, and the Antichrist is looking to take you out within that. And John believes that there are many Antichrists that are leading up to the Antichrist. The deceiver's doctrine to deny Jesus. Verse 8 tells us this. Watch yourselves that you do not lose what we have accomplished, but that you receive a full reward. One of the dangers for a believer, get this, for a believer rejecting the truth, is a loss of reward within that. Not a loss of salvation, but a loss of reward. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 11-15, he says this, For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which was laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold and silver and precious stone, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it because it's to be revealed with fire. Fire itself will test the quality of each man's work, and each man's work will be built on will remain, but he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet though as fire. What is the foundation for a believer's faith? Jesus Christ. What is the work? It's how you walk in the truth. How you conduct your life. And Paul says as we are conducting our life, we're building on the foundation of Jesus Christ. But if you start using poor material in that what's called the Bema Seat Judgment, that judgment seat of reward, which is a study in itself, but all Christians are going to stand before God with a Bema Seat Judgment, where your life is going to be tried by fire, what comes out, well, it reveals on how you walked and that life. Now, within that, Paul says you can, you can have that foundation that you're saved, but you could actually end up with nothing to show for your life. Why? Because you built with wood, hay, and stubble in the garbage. He's like, Gary, hey, why is that important? Well, if you've been with our men's study, when you get to the throne of God, you're going to have that opportunity to receive crowns to be able to give those rewards back to God. Rewards aren't for you. But it's for God to bless you. And you turn around and you go, I've got nothing yet to give. Oh, I think we sang that today. But the rewards that you gave me, I want to give back to you. Church. We need to be careful and watch and make sure that no one tries to steal our reward. There are bogus teachers with a bogus message. And Paul says, how do I know a bogus teacher? He's very clear. A bogus teacher is someone that tries to improve on the Word of God. Literally, he says within this, he he says, if anyone goes beyond goes beyond the border, goes beyond the barrier, tries to improve within that. In other words, people try to add to the Word of God. They try to create a, a, a message that is more than what God's Word says. They're going to come into the church and they say, hey, I have a new revelation. I have a new teaching. I want to tell you more about about this, something that you've never heard before. They, they become... Very progressive and, and liberal. They, they come in and they, they add to the Word of God. If anyone adds or subtracts to the Word of God, what does the Bible say happens to that person? The curses of the book will be upon them. So what does he say? If anyone comes to you and they're trying to add to the teaching, don't receive them in your house. Don't give them a greeting. You say, well, Carrie, that's pretty harsh. Don't let the wolves into the chicken coop. What does he mean he's not talking about if you intentionally if someone comes to your door and they're you know a cultist or whatever and they come to your door. He's not saying slam the door in their face. What he's saying is because they met in houses he says don't give someone who teaches heresy the pulpit within your church. Don't give them the ability to corrupt the house church that you're in. There's a lot of people that, that will bring unbelievers and give them the pulpit to address the church. I would say this. If you, have an, if you are called to evangelize Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses or those that, that are there and you say, look, why don't you come over, let's have a cup of coffee, and let's talk about the Bible. Well, let's talk about the Book of Mormon. No, 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 no. Put that one away. Let's talk about the Bible and you bring about the truth of God's Word, that's intentional evangelism. What John's saying is don't let the bogus preachers and teachers have the pulpits to create an ecumenical movement of heresy within the church structure. It would be like me having a, a, a Buddhist monk come up and give a sermon on a Sunday morning. You don't do that. We want to bring the truth, and that's what we're here to do. John's not saying be rude, but, but don't give in. Speak the truth. There's a phrase that a lot of people have come into um, saying recently that I've had to rethink. Let's just agree to disagree when it comes to truth. Let's just agree to disagree. I want to push back on that a bit. When it comes to truth... Don't agree to disagree. When it comes to truth, say this, you're wrong. Well, Carrie, that's offensive. How offended are they going to be when they're burning in hell? When it comes to truth, don't agree to disagree. You're wrong. And here's why. And you better know why. You better know why. You better be able to bring it out in the Word and say, this is why you're wrong and I love you so much that I don't want to see you spend eternity in hell. This is the truth of God's Word and you're wrong. Church, we need a backbone. We need to stand up. We need to live the truth and live in the love. Why? Because it makes Jesus smile. Look at the end of this. He says, there are many things I want to write to you. I don't want to do so with paper and ink, but I hope to come to you. And speak to you face to face. Why? So that your joy may be full. When you speak the truth in love. And you are working at at encouraging the church. And bring him to that place. It makes God smile. John wanted to make God smile. He says, I'm going to come to you and we're going to have that conversation. To make you smile. So that you'll walk in the truth. Church, we've got to keep on living in the truth. And we need to keep on loving based on that truth. Not give in to the world and the world standard. And watch out. When Satan, the deceiver, comes in or his little missionaries come in and they start saying things and you say, well, you know, let's just agree to disagree. Tell them no. But you better know why. That's why you have to be a student of the Word of God. And keep on living. Living the truth. Because that's the only way that the unsaved person is going to see the love of God. Because you are Jesus with skin on. Let's pray. God, I, I pray that even now, as your words got out and this challenge, this letter from John, I thank you that John is the apostle that loves and he loves enough to warn us to be careful. We need to watch ourselves. We need to walk in the truth and love. Because it's that truth and love that reveals you, Lord Jesus, to the world. May we protect the truth at all costs. And not give in to the things of the world. And may we keep on living that truth. So that all men will hear the gospel and be saved. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we declare our faith publicly before you. Tomorrow may we live it publicly before the world. Lead us, Holy Spirit, to those conversations that we can have where we can explain truth and love. Holy Spirit, I pray you would go before those conversations. Prepare those hearts to hear your truth, to know that they're loved, that they might come to know you. I pray, Father God, also that if there's anyone in this room or watching online that has been deceived by Satan's missionaries, open the eyes of their understanding to know that they are loved by a God that has given everything for them to have life. Lead us, Holy Spirit, we pray. May everything we say and do, God, make you smile. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen, Amen and praise, praise Jesus. Jesus. Have a blessed day. Thanks for joining us in the study of God's Word with Pastor Kerry Wacker. We'd love to have you join us in person for worship each Sunday morning at 9 a.m. or 1045 a.m. We also meet Wednesday nights at 6.30 p.m. Warren Community Fellowship is located at 56523 Columbia River Highway in Warren, Oregon, between Scapoos and St. Helens. For more information about Warren Community Fellowship or about WCF Ministries, call us at 503 397 4387. And don't forget to like us on Facebook.